How about if I just start at the beginning? <laughs> you can you can be honest. Because <laughs> you know what? They have the sweat equity that went into that memory that they're making with their friends and family. And that's what's important with us, and that's what the I Am Real World's about. Well, that's a great question. You know, one of the best things about a spring food plot is you get a second chance if it fails. Chasing Giants with Don Higgins. Brought to you by buyafarm.com, your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. By tapping into Don's years of experience, dedication, and commitment, Chasing Giants focuses on the techniques, strategies, and dedication needed to harvest one of God's most amazing creations, world-class whitetails. Now, here is Don and co-host Terry Peer. Well, welcome, everyone, to Chasing Giants, episode 57 on Memorial Day weekend. How's it going, Mr. Higgins? Uh, it's going good here, Terry. Um, hope you're feeling better and ready for your surgery this week and get you on the mend for hunting season. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, I'm, I'm sick of being hurt. Um, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. It's, um, it's been, t- um, you know, we had the knee injury last year, 11 months later, I'm going in for back surgery, but, um, I do, I do honestly want to thank, um, I bet I had 150 people reach out to me or send me a message um just saying they were praying for me this coming week and uh um it it means a lot that so many people are concerned and and praying and and have my back i I promise you it's it's a minor procedure um i even have to walk two miles on wednesday the day after surgery so um i do appreciate the prayers but um there's (laughs) there's a lot of people that's in a whole lot worse shape than me so well we got some great listeners and some good Christian guys out there that uh, are sending prayers up for you. So, yeah, Speaking of that, um, last week's episode, I, I did ask that everybody remember um, um, Nikki Larson. They're uh, a family that has a real popular agriculture YouTube channel, um, Larson Farms. Uh, Chet's the husband, and uh, Doug is the f- uh, father-in-law. Um, unfortunately, Nikki lost her battle with cancer this week. So, uh, those of you who are faithful and, and, and will continue to pray, pray for the Larson family and, uh, great people. And, um, just, just, she was only 23 years old and, uh, lost a battle to cancer this week. So prayers go out to them. Yeah. I can't imagine going through something like that, uh, you know, as a parent or just basically friend, family member, whatever. Yeah, um, Casey, Casey, my wife, she was diagnosed with cancer when we were about that age, but it was a very minor case, and and we were able to pull through it. So just heartbreaking news, and uh, just again, um, I, I feel I feel guilty asking people to pray for my small back problem when there's people in such need like that. But uh, um, please continue to pray for the Larson family. So um, outside of that, we. Um, to kick off the show today, we both made, and we haven't talked in a couple of days, but we both made social media posts about something that happened to both of us today and didn't even talk a, ahead of time on that, didn't we? Yeah. I'd seen your post uh, that you had uh, used mowing clover or something and, and almost hit a fawn and had pictures of it. And, you know, after I seen that, uh, Rob and I got home after church and uh, we had a family lunch and, and then we jumped on the side by side to, uh, check out the, the new house we've got going up, but uh, just right down the road and also check food plots. And 
we're driving along the side by side and and we hear this fawn bleat and she looks at me and I look at her and she says, is that a fawn? And I said, yeah, that was a fawn. I think I just ran over one. And uh, I get out of the side by side and go back and and there was one laying there, but I didn't run over him, but he was only about six inches Mm. from the tire tracks. I just made that tall grass. Yeah. And uh, he wasn't very old. I I mean, she reached down and petted him and I did too. And he kind of, stumbled off into the grass and laid back down and we just left him alone but uh, that one just about bit the dust but he, he just about got run over yeah i'm in i'm in the process of trying to get everything ready for surgery and uh when we were planting my soybean field last weekend i noticed that i had some grass um i have a really good clover stand this year don it, it looks fantastic but I noticed that I had some grasses coming up that were going out to seed. So I knew that I had to get the tops of those things, you know, chopped off. And I just cringe mowing this time of year. I mean, you know, we can talk a little bit more about the calendar and where Memorial Day fits in with the gestation cycle of fawns um, and does. But um, I knew I had to get it done before surgery. So I, I mean, my clover was up almost knee high in some places. So, I drove my small tractor back with just, it's got a little four foot bush hog on it. And I, you know, it's real easy to see out the front, but, uh, I walked the clover plot beforehand and I'm confident that that little, little buck fawn that I found today, he would have, he would have gotten smashed. I wouldn't have been able to see him. He was down in there so deep. Mm-hmm. So what, well, they can hide good. You can be right on top of them and not see them. Yeah, and in thick grass like that, especially with big tractor, you'd never see them. So you know, I, I don't like touching them. I don't. I don't believe the uh, what people say that the the doe won't um, you know acknowledge it after somebody touches it. But I don't use that as an excuse to go touch them when I don't need to. But you know, I went ahead. I needed to mow that clover, so I went ahead and picked him up and moved him. And put him back in some more tall grass. Um, I could have just mowed around him and just left one little patch open, but I went ahead and moved him. Um, my biggest concern, honestly, was there was uh, they they set the tobacco on my farm already, but I had like seven buzzards um, up on the ridge. Uh, I would guess maybe two hundred and fifty yards from where I was mowing, and. There was some on the ground in the tobacco field and some still circling. Um, I drove by. I didn't see anything. I don't know what they were eating on, but I was worried if they saw that little fawn, you know, in shortcut grass that they'd come down on top of it, even though they can't smell it. But So I went ahead mm-hmm. and stuck him back in the tall grass so he didn't get pounced on by the buzzards or something else. Well, those buzzards will get them even if they're still alive. I've... Well, back when I had the captive deer, I had a friend that uh, he had buzzards get in his pen and, and kill some fawns that were perfectly healthy. Yeah. I've heard of them getting on calves and plucking their eyes out, you know, after yep. they've been born. So anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't like moving them or picking them up or anything, but I got to hold this little booger today. He was tiny. His, uh, his head was only about the size of my fist. He was, he was a little one and, uh, he did not get up. He he stayed, I mean, he was right there the entire time and, and ducked its little head down. So, I mean, this time of year, uh, we really try to avoid mowing, don't we? Yeah, for sure. When I had the captive deer, you could just count on 
um, Memorial Weekend is when the fawns just seem to, to come in droves. And uh, there may be a, a few before that, but starting about Memorial Weekend and for the next week or so, that's when the majority of them would, would hit the ground. Yep. So, uh, so what everybody we're... needs to be careful. So what Keep we're, an eye out for those fawns. What we're seeing is the fawns that we've seen on social media or maybe people that's gotten pictures of them the last week or two. Those are those early does that might come in just a little bit early, but then, uh, but these are right. The ones that are being born right now are in that sweet spot of that November 8th, right? Yeah. And you know, I think I've probably seen more social media posts. And also I, I posted a, a picture of a fawn back, uh, I don't know, it was early May, um, that I'd got on trail camera. I think I've seen more early fawns this year from people's posts than I remember seeing in past years. And I've always swore the rut happens the same time every year based on about 25 years experience with the captive herd. Um, but I don't know if something happened last year or what, but it just seems like there's an unusual number of early fawns this year. Well, and it might be just that we're looking at it, you know, the topics of the podcast kind of alert us and we pay more attention to stuff that's topics on the podcast. So, it um it'll be real interesting but i think the if you if you make a bell curve the greatest number of fawns are going to be hitting the ground in the next week yep for sure no doubt about it so i know that uh guys that are mowing hay around here the hay is ready to be mowed um so i know people got to do their farming and uh and you can't can't work their farm schedule around fawns but um you know if you if you get the opportunity and you're doing it just be be careful and on the lookout um like i said if i wouldn't have if i wouldn't have gotten off the tractor and walked uh that clover patch today i wouldn't have seen him so yeah and you know even walking you, you could miss them pretty easy yeah yeah i agree especially when it's you know waist high waist high hay so right so outside of that, you spent some time this week. Uh, I think you actually called him a prodigy. What was up with calling West Ducks a prodigy? <laughs> I hope there was an inside joke on that, or at least something we can make fun of him about. Uh, I was just giving him a hard time. <laughs> he didn't like me posting that, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he went along with me to Iowa. And, um, I've got trail cameras scattered all over that state now, and. Basically, I got permission or access to four more properties, and I wanted to get trail cameras on them. You know, I've got to apply for my, my Iowa tag um, next weekend, I think, is the deadline. And I've got different options in different units. I'm not sure which zone or unit to apply for. Mm. Yeah, because so if you cameras out, if you waste if you waste that tag and burn those preference points, and you draw the uh, and you go in for the wrong unit, you might not have a shooter there. Right. So uh, that's why I'm getting these cameras out everywhere, and I'm I'm just hoping to get a picture this week of a good buck. And mm. well, it just so happens that this afternoon I'm sitting there at home, and and I've got a a decent. Uh, it was a bad angle, but it's definitely the best buck that I've got a picture of this year. Hmm. Um, definitely a mature deer, uh, but a bad angle. And it's still, you know, really early in the antler growing season. But, uh, but that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that, uh, any kind of a tip that I can get to, to which unit I should be applying for. 
Well, you still got a yeah. week, so hopefully, hopefully, what you put out this week will uh, will give you some tips on something. So you should hopefully get some traffic in in some areas. Yeah, uh, this time next week, I guess I'll know where I'm applying. But uh, I, I just, I mean, people have reached out to me and and offered some tips here and there, and um, but you know, when you're looking for a, a giant, not just a good buck, but a really good buck. Right. Um, you need to know that there's one on the property you're hunting on. Yeah. Unlike what most people think there's, there's not a one ninety behind every tree in Iowa as good as that state is. No, not at all. And, and you know, that's what I'm doing is I'm trying to, you got to do your homework ahead of time when you're shooting, when you want to shoot the really big ones. Um, you can go in Iowa just about anywhere. You know, you can probably shoot at 160, and most places probably have a decent chance at a 170. But when you start talking better than that, you better do your homework, and you better know there's one where you're at, or your odds of success are pretty darn low. Well, I saw I saw something on the post about the setup that you were talking about. Can you walk us through a little bit about it, take a couple minutes, because I think the post was talking about if and when you have a situation where you've set up where you can put a lone wolf stand in and, and maybe get a buck to stop. So talk to us a little bit about that that uh, game plan that you kind of put together. Well, the one property that, that I went and visited with Wes was a, uh, had a creek that went pretty much right through the middle of the property uh, with a little cover on each side of the creek and the CRP strip, uh, you know, next to those trees that were along the creek and, but there was one spot where this wash came in and uh, the water was coming, you know, off of a field and, and uh, real deep wash. I mean, it was a gully and uh, real steep sides and the deer were really funneled around it uh, on one end. And it was, it was probably the best stand site that I seen on the trip. Um, there was a real short, uh, when they came out of this, this dip, um, there was just a short stretch of more open woods for probably, you know, maybe 20, 25 yards. And then they're swallowed up by thick cover again. And I really, I mean, there was a perfect tree for a stand. It, it, it's just absolutely perfect for a south wind. Mm. Uh, those, those bucks can, can follow that creek with the wind right in their nose and come right up into this spot with the wind in their nose. Um, but what I was afraid is that these bucks, they get to cruising, you know, and they're on a pretty fast paced walk. And a lot of times it's hard to stop them. And if they do stop, you know, maybe they're behind a tree or whatever, and you still can't get a shot. So I wanted something in that location to stop them. Um, if I end up do seeing a good buck or getting a picture of a good buck on that property, I am going to put a stand in that tree. And I don't want those bucks just cruising past there real fast. So, uh, Basically, I've created a, a mock scrape, if you will. Just I took a tree sapling, and there wasn't a good branch for for a scrape, so I had to kind of create one. So I, I bent over a sapling and uh, and tied it to a, a tree nearby, and then the, so the top of that sapling is sticking out past that tree. And uh, then I I sprayed uh, some Roundup in a circle underneath that branch, you know, to kill all the, the grass and vegetation there. Right. Um, if I get a, a, uh, 
photo of a good buck on that farm and, and end up hunting there. Well, I'll go in when I hang my stand and, and I'll rake back that dead vegetation from where I sprayed and I'll put some smoky scent on that branch and I have no doubt the buck will start hitting it. Right. And I'm hoping any buck that cruises by stops right there and it at least uh, checks out that scrape and if if he does it'll give me a twenty yard shot. So Well that was one of the that, cons- there. That was one of the concerns you had with the setup of where you killed the Joey buck was that, you know, he came through at a pretty good clip. How do you get him stopped? Yeah. And if it, if I wouldn't have seen Joey coming, I, I don't know that I would have got a shot off. I mean, he did stop because I threw that smoky scent out before I climbed in my stand. He absolutely smelled it. And he absolutely locked up. But you wouldn't but, have had uh, time to draw if you weren't already drawn and then let it go. Yes. Snap my release on and draw if I wouldn't have seen him coming. Mm. Because in that case, that situation, there wasn't a 20, 25-yard uh, stretch. There was about a six-yard stretch. And uh, he could have went past that in a second. Yeah. Makes sense. So going in and, and having everything kind of prepped now, you don't have to go in there with a lot of intrusion. If you do find a good one, um, minimal minimal intrusion, just going in, hanging a lone wolf real quick and putting some lure out versus trimming shooting lanes and getting everything ready then. Yeah, and this is a very uh, low-pressure spot on the, for this property. I mean, it's about as close as you can get. Uh, as far as easy access, I mean, it's not at the back of the property. It's right up at the front of the property. Um, so, I mean, I can hunt this stand and put almost zero pressure on the entire property. And my wind is actually blowing on the neighboring property out into an open ag field. So, uh, I mean, it's, I, I told Wes, this is a killing spot. Yeah. Uh, he told me he got goosebumps when I said that, <laughs> which I thought was kind of crazy, but. That's when I started calling him the prodigy. I didn't know the prodigy's got <laughs> goosebumps. Well, this one did. <laughs> uh, well, we'll figure out whether he listens to the podcast again or not because of us poking fun of him a little bit. So I'll uh, I'll make sure I start every email with it with this week that I send to him is started off with Mr. Prodigy. <laughs> He'll know where it came from for sure. <laughs> Well, let's spend just a couple minutes just getting a little bit of an update on food plots. Um, I want I want you to uh, kind of um, go into a little bit more detail about what I was saying. Um, I'll let you answer the question about why it was so important for me to mow that clover as some grasses were getting ready to go to seed. Um, I didn't have maybe not quite half of it was starting to bloom out. But uh, so it was a little bit early, earlier than what I normally mow based on the bloom. But the grasses had me concerned. Why is that so important? Well, you know, grass just naturally wants to uh, take over a clover plot anyway. At least it seems that way on the properties that I've managed. And if the last thing you want is is that grass to go to seed, and of course that's just going to bring on more grass. So. You know, planting a clover plot, you can keep it going um, for a long time by just overseeding a little more seed each spring, um, frost-seeding a little more in, but the the issue becomes the grass slowly taking over. And you keep it mowed, you keep the grass that does come on from going to seed, and that's a giant step in controlling it. 
and then you can uh, you know spray herbicide grass herbicide to take care of what's, what little is there in fact i've got some clover on my place that i'm going to spray um with select herbicide uh, later this summer probably well actually probably in the next week or two yep um just to control those grasses so my soybeans got planted last week. Um, they're starting to poke their head through the ground. Uh, I saw today when I was back there. Uh, we did. It was awful dry here, Don. I, I know you all have had quite a bit of rain, but it was really, really dry here in Kentucky. And we got some timely rain, I believe, Thursday and Friday. But it was really, really cold. It got down into the, uh, I think, my son played a baseball game Saturday, and I believe it was in the high 40s. Um, and uh, so it was a little bit warmer today. It was in the 60s today, uh, going to be in the 70s. So the beans are starting to poke their head up uh, on my place. This here, um, I know you had mentioned last week that you have to do some reseeding. What's the status of that project? Well, I got it done this week. Uh Actually, I had a uh, what all did I plant? I had a corn plot that got washed out that I had to replant, which I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I beat the rain on that, and then uh, I had a a CRP field that I'd planted years ago. In fact, it was the very first CRP patch that I ever planted on this farm, and uh, it the, the grasses just didn't stand that well, and I've been wanting to wipe them out and, and put them in the replant switchgrass there for a few years but uh just get so busy with other projects i keep putting it off well this year i got it done i burned off that field early this spring and when it greened up i i sprayed it and uh i did probably oh uh, three weeks and then last sunday after church i went in and i sprayed it again and i think it was monday after the spring monday or tuesday after the spring, I went back and, and drilled no-tilled that switchgrass right into the, the grass I just sprayed. Um, and then on Wednesday, uh, Jay Gingrich came and planted some miscanthus strips in that patch for me. Mm-hmm. So after I had no-tilled that switchgrass in there, I went in there with my uh, smaller tractor and five-foot tiller, and I tilled some strips. And then Jay came and planted uh, miscanthus in those strips to put some structure in that field. So, um, you know, I told you, or I told basically the, uh, folks that attended my whitetail master course that the, I'm in the process of making this farm twice as good as it, it has been. And this is one of those projects that was going to do that. That field will no longer be laying flat winter. Um, there'll be a good stand of real world switchgrass there surrounded by miscanthus on three sides of the field and then some structure at the structure within the heart of the field. So uh, that was one of my projects this week as well. Gotcha. And uh, hopefully if it rains holds off, you're going to be doing me a favor. And we have a, a spot over on my lease that's been historically really bad for water hemp. Uh, you're going to be doing your spray and no-till with some uh, enlist beans uh, for me over there, hopefully this week. Yep. Um, we got rain in the forecast, but it's 50% chance or less on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And if, I think if we can make it to Wednesday, I can probably, it'll probably be dry enough for me to get over there. But I don't know. We got over an inch of rain um, 
I don't remember what day it was, Thursday, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and that field stays pretty wet. It does. Um, but I'll drive over probably Tuesday evening and, uh, check it out. And that'll give me a, a good idea how many days I think it'll take to dry or if it's dry enough. Well, the I rain's think, been so spotty that they might have got more or less over there. Right. But the big thing is there's still plenty of time. Um, you know, we, we try to get them in a little bit earlier, you know, but you can still you can still plant your beans in early June. Um, once you start getting into late June, you, you'll lose a little bit of pod production, and I really don't like going past July 4th, but uh, just especially here because of the lack of moisture. But uh, for those of you who still uh, – trying to get food plots in you got plenty of time i think the best bean plot i ever planted was uh the first week of june so most of the time i'm putting them in a memorial day weekend yeah the uh test plot that was right by my shed where we hold the master course yep um which was the enlist one of the enlist test plots for last year um that plot got planted on june 27th last year Mm mm-hmm and you've seen how it turned out. It turned out fantastic. All of them were waist high, over a hundred pods per plant. So, yep, yep. So when you wait, you know the soil temperature is warmer, and that bean doesn't sit there at all. I mean, it explodes out of the ground. Right. Uh, when I planted that last year, within five days, you could just row those beans. You could look right down the road and see them popping out of the ground, and, and they just didn't stop. They just came out of the ground, right, growing and. And they kept growing until they was mature. And they looked every bit as good as beans that I'd planted six weeks earlier and by, the, by the end of summer. Yep. All right. Well, that's a food plot update from both of us. So uh, make sure you tag uh, Real World in your social media posts as you're going out there checking on them. We'd love to see them. Uh, we've gotten tagged on quite a bit of uh, pictures of people out planting with their kids. That's kind of cool seeing, you know, families out participating in it um, and uh, laughing at Josh Pretzer's wife riding the top of the planter. That was kind of funny. So, uh Make sure you tag us in it. We'll enjoy seeing that. So we got time real quick for a Lester's Feet update uh, before we move on to the biofarm uh, segment. Um, uh, I want, before uh, we run our 30 minutes up, all of our friends that are listening on MTech, um, I found out this week that a bunch of people just received the Busy Beaver Extreme Edition uh here last week and uh, i was under the assumption that that would have been delivered about two to three weeks ago so we want all of our amish families to help us spread the word Uh, we are going to extend any mail-in checks um to that came in that ad because you guys just got your uh copy of busy beaver extreme Uh, we're going to extend the time allowed to mail in checks uh, I've already cleared it with uh, SC Online Sales. Um, we're going to take them up until June 30th now. So if you can help us spread that word, um, that way everybody gets a chance to do it since many of them are just finding out. So I appreciate if you all can help spread the word. Um, I don't know the number right now because since um, a lot of people are mailing in checks, um, we have to they have to enter those one by one and create accounts. So um it's 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 truly a blessing to see uh, how all this is working. Um, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time, but it was kind of timely today in Sunday school. We were talking about Judges chapter five, where the uh, they were talking about the only female judge named Deborah, 
and uh, it was talking about how everybody has their own gifts and talents that God gives him, and uh, the Bible actually uses some very firm language uh, midway through the chapter when it's talking about some of the tribes of Israel uh, not showing up for battle. So they had, you know, they were at war, and and some of these uh, tribes stayed with their boats or they stayed at their houses and they didn't come, and the Bible actually, I think in the NIV, it says they were cursed, and um, um, the, the analogy that we talked about today is that God doesn't really care about your ability. He cares about your availability. Um, you know, the time after time, the Bible talks about people who have, you know, they, they, they weren't people that you would think would have stories written about them. And he's using normal people like us. Uh, that don't necessarily have a big way to help families. But when we combine all of that together through a mission like this, we can really do a lot of good. And I thought that was really timely to read that, that God doesn't care about our ability. He cares about our availability. And the community and family that's behind this podcast has sure made themselves available through this mission of helping families, and it's really appreciated. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know if ticket sales are still as strong as they were, but... uh, We're going to be making a big push here in June, uh, getting the word out again, uh, trying to hit all our different outlets. Deer and Deer Hunting's got the magazine uh, ad coming out uh, for Lester's Feet. I'm going to be making a push on my social media, and uh, it will be the first. It will be the first time that I've ever posted trail camera pictures of the bucks on my farm. Yeah. I've never I've never posted trail camera pictures of the bucks on my farm and I did a little collage of the bucks that were there last year that didn't get shot. So um when I say I'm all in for this thing people, um it's it's all I can do to uh to to let these things out, letting uh locals here know what's on my farm. But um uh, it's all for a good cause and um hopefully somebody gets a monster book. And I assure you, Terry, you're going to be blessed. <laughs> I tell you what, though, God it's bless you somehow. For, for <laughs> it's I'll hard. It's it's hard letting those pictures out, though, buddy. <laughs> I mean, it's we do we yeah. do all this work and 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 try to keep stuff quiet. So, pe- and and people know I manage that farm, but um, man, it's just like uh, giving away. You think you're giving away secrets, but. It, it's all for the greater good, and and I know people are, that are bidding on this are not doing it for that reason. But hopefully, that when they see that there's some bucks there, they'll they'll get a little excited. Yep. All right. With you that, will be blessed. With that, why don't we move on to the buyfarm.com property of the week? Buyafarm.com is your source for farm, recreational properties, rural homes, and more. Now here is Don Higgins with this week's featured property. Okay, this week's featured property is an online auction for 80 acres in Clay County, Illinois. Um, of those 80 acres, 23 of those are tillable, uh, which, you know, with the tillable acres, you could put that in CRP or food plots or, or whatever. Um, if you look at an aerial of the farm on the 80, it, it looks like um, 140 is totally wooded. And then next to it is another 40, which would have the 23 tillable acres kind of in the middle of that 40. Um, you can see that on buyafarm.com. Just look for the 80 acres in Clay County. Uh, the property is located north of Clay City over east of Louisville, Illinois. 
Um, taxes on this place is only $662 a year. Um, I think it'd be a great starter property um, for someone, you know, looking for that first hunting property to, uh, you know, maybe fix it up and, and flip it for a bigger property down the road at some point. Um, I know there's a lot of listeners in Southern Illinois, the Effingham area, for example, and further South. Um, this might be a, a perfect property for that. I did check out the listing. It's a fairly new listing and hadn't been up on the uh, website very long, but uh, so far there's not a single bid on it. So it, it might be one that can be bought very reasonable. Um, the auction closes July 22nd uh, at 8 p.m. Um, like I said, you can go to the biofarm.com uh, website and see a lot of photos from this property. The agent is Don Bailey, and Don's phone number is 618. 618- Nine one nine, ten thirty one. He'd be glad to answer any questions you have, or even show you the property. Well, Don, I got a serious question for you. Okay. Would would this property make the Prodigy West Delks stomach upset? <laughs> I don't know about that. You'd have to talk to him. <laughs> I guarantee you, Wes could put a plan together for this property. There you go. And, uh, <laughs> the Prodigy West Ducks. The Prodigy. I got a really good picture of Wes with his shirt off using a pole saw that I need to make a header that says Prodigy on it and, and broadcast it all over social media. I think that'd be funny. Well, did you see the social media comment? Somebody said something about they. Um, seen Wes on a billboard. No. <laughs> it was under one of my posts. Uh, it might have been that post, actually. Was it? Um, but uh, somebody said something about seeing Wes on a billboard. So, <laughs> where's you getting out about Wesley? I seventy between Brazil, Indiana, and and Terre Haute. Terre Haute. We had we had, we had quite a group a group uh, convinced that Wes was a model on a billboard from a past career. So underwear the, model yep, is that the, the truth is finally out everybody knows the prodigy yep maybe we can uh maybe we can get his own like um when we when we take uh the pilot program seed to the next level maybe we'll make it a prodigy edition and put wes on well, the bag instead of you hey if, if people <laughs> I told him as soon as he shoots a 200-inch buck, he can be on the next bag. There you go. <laughs> he's working on it. He's working on it. All right. Sounds yep. good. Well, you got some questions for us tonight? I do. And, again, you know, I went back. Uh, I got a good um, list of questions uh, that have been submitted, some of them probably a year ago. So I've been all over the board trying to hit a variety of topics and some more recent submissions and some older submissions so the first one tonight comes from chad brady from lanexa virginia um chad says thanks for this great hunting resource my question this summer you're heading to iowa to hang trail cameras on a new 80 acre farm mostly timber what all do you carry in your trail camera toolbox to successfully install and cover this 80 acres um, I don't think he's talking about me specifically, but it's just a fictitious, uh, or maybe he is going to look at 80 acres in Iowa. 
I picked it out because I just came back from Iowa and it was going to yeah. be easy for me to tell him what I had along. And Yeah, there you go. Uh, basically, you know, Chad, I took twice as many trail cameras as I thought I would need, um, you know, along with all the, the straps, the, the cable locks and that, and different uh, various mounts for, you know, hanging the, the uh, cameras on fence posts or trees or whatever. I took uh, pruning saws, um, both a hand saw as well as an extendable pole saw, um, and basically not not much more than that. Uh, I, I took my ATV. Um, uh, went early enough that the crops are short, and uh, you know I could drive along the edge of the field fairly easy. Right. Um, so I took the ATV, but uh, you know that was about it. Um, I wish I would have taken some flagging tape. Uh, there was just a couple of trees I would have liked to have marked so that, uh, you know, if I come back later to hang a stand, I'm not stomping around looking for that tree that I, I, I did mark those trees using my Onyx app, but that just gets you close. And, yeah. uh, I don't want to go back to the area and be stomping around. Look, well, which tree was that? I don't, I was months ago that I was here, which, which one was it? I want to go right to it and get my job done and get out. So that's one thing I didn't take that I wish I would have. You say that, but you're like a buddy of mine that I work with that remembers every golf course hole that he's ever played in his entire life. So I, I don't have any doubt that you'll be able to get back in there and, <laughs> and see what tree you were talking about. You remember, you remember that I'll be on the, I'll be on the road with you and you'll have somebody come up to a booth or, or call you on the phone about a, consulting job you did three or four years ago and you remember the exact property from from walking it back in the day so <laughs> so i have i have full confidence that you're going to be able to uh to figure that out i, I will tell you one of the and you can you can i you might not even remember the place that you got it one of the biggest tips that you gave me is um when you take trail cameras off maybe your home property is we like to use a cable lock on them um and you you put me on to getting cable locks all matched with matching keys. I didn't even know that was an option, um, but um, we figured out. I found a place online where you can get all of your cable locks instead of carrying a full keychain and trying to get there and figuring out which key goes to which lock. Everything's in the same same key. Um, that was one of the biggest tips you gave me that might come in handy for Chad. Yeah, I. Uh stumbled upon a website that had key to lock cable locks and i sent an email and i said can you get me 40 that are key to lock and they said no problem yep so uh, i i think i bought 40 or 50 maybe actually i made two different purchases and uh, those master cable locks on the key there'll be a number on that key mm -hmm. stamped on them and if you you can call certain places and tell them you know can you match this key number do you have locks that'll match that and I actually added to my collection. I, I don't know how many I got today, somewhere around 50. But uh, I made those in two separate purchases. And uh, basically when I made the second purchase, I said, here's the number that's on my key. And by golly, they sent me a bunch more that one key opens all 50 of my locks. There's nothing worse than getting there and having to go through a full keychain of all those because the keys are small anyway, trying to go through and figure out which one of those things work. So that that's a uh that's something you turned me on to years ago. Um 
but I like to I like to keep the cables in there. I like to keep big long wire ties. There's certain situations where I'll put trail cameras on T posts that wire ties work really well. Um, obviously the straps and lots of batteries and SD cards. Yep. You know another thing that's great about buying all these cable locks that are key to like is let's say you buy twenty of them. Well, you got twenty sets of keys, so you can lose some keys. Big deal. You got twenty. 19 more sets at home. Yeah, you so. say that and I got I got spare keys in every vehicle. I got them on every keychain of my tractor, my side-by-side. So like I have multiple keys for my tractor and side-by-sides. I got a set of them on my Quiet Cat keys. So the worst part about it is especially like the Reconyx cameras that cable lock goes through the front door. You get all the way back to your spot or you drive to Iowa and go to open that that uh, door on that camera you can't get in it without the key so the beauty of it is is being able to keep extra keys with you no matter where at keep them in your backpack whatever same thing yep yep so So, all right chad thanks for asking the question yep next question comes from travis peters from risaka i hope i said that right georgia good dog travis says I really enjoy your podcast and find it to be educational. I've been grappling with questions of what to do on my main hunting property and thought maybe you could help. Most of the bucks on the property seem to have a genetic deficiency, small racks that are deformed, half racks, and so forth. Here in Georgia, we are allowed to harvest two antlered deer a season. So should I try to harvest them as fast as I can? What is your advice? Oh, I would not, uh, I would not get all wrapped up in trying to harvest, uh, these young bucks with small racks that you think are deformed. Um, you know, I don't know, uh, I think the soil in Georgia is, is not all that, uh, you know, rich in mineral and such. So I wonder if some, um, no mineral supplementation might help that to some degree. I'm not a hundred percent sure that it's a genetic deficiency, um, you know, it, it, it could be a nutritional deficiency. So uh, I, and, and again, I don't know what's legal in Georgia as far as putting out the uh, supplemental feed or minerals, but if it is legal, that's probably would be my first step is to try to get the deer on your property and hopefully get your neighbors on board doing the same thing, but provide them the, the highest level of nutrition that you possibly can through both mineral and supplemental feed. Uh, that would be my, my first step. Um, I wouldn't, would not again, get all wrapped up in trying to shoot all these bucks. Well, the, the thing about it is, is if you do that and you haven't fixed the root cause, you're just killing deer. You're never, you're never addressing what it is. You take all the other variables out of the way. Yeah. You might end up having to take some calls later on down the road, but I, I agree with you. You don't start there. Yeah, I, I think the number he's talking about, most of the bucks on the property. So with that many, I, I just don't see it being a genetic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could be wrong, but. Yeah, Travis, a good uh, thing you might want to do is, is go back and listen to the uh, episode we did with Dr. Bronson Strickland about the fetal programming and the, how the nutrition um, is how you make the change on your farm. And then after you make those changes, then you can start looking at um, – you know, your, um, your culling. And we've talked about that on the podcast several times, but 
I'd, uh, if you haven't already, I'd go back and listen to that episode with Dr. Strickland. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay. Okay, the next question. It comes from C.J. Hurtis from Noble, Illinois. And he says, do you agree with Drury's 13 phases of the deer season? Why or why not? Um, you know, I'm not – I think what he's referring to is, is – juries have a tv or did have a tv show called 13 and they basically broke the hunting season down into 13 phases um just having a little bit of knowledge of the outdoor industry and outdoor tv um well first of all i I don't don't want anyone to take this as a uh, slam at juries at all Uh, the juries uh you know are pioneers in this industry and I certainly respect their their whitetail knowledge. Um, they've tipped over a lot of giants, so so don't take this the wrong way at all. Um, but I think the the whole thirteen phases was basically because in a quarter uh, there are thirteen weeks. So when you're you're buying TV or airtime, um, it's sold by the quarter. Uh, so you're buying thirteen weeks at a time or, or thirteen episodes. So I think what they did is they just broke down uh, the season into 13 phases because it fit in the 13 weeks of a quarter uh, to produce that series. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think that there's 13 phases uh, with a deer season, but, uh, you know, I think it was a pretty ingenious idea on their part uh, to break it down that way. And, uh to produce this show, but I just don't uh, see 13 different phases of the season. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's, yeah. Um, Mark and Terry, like I said, they're, they're very well respected in the industry. Um, you know, I will say that, um, I think you were the first one I ever talked about it, but Mark is another one that really, um, even though you were the first one that I ever knew talked about it, Mark is a real big believer in the philosophy of same time, same place. And he's, he's gone out a lot and talked about that too. So, um, I can say that both of you are probably as far as people in the outdoor industry are real big believers in, um, you know, a buck's going to have a yearly pattern that if you really want to get on a mature buck, learning that yearly data and logging it is, is vital. Um, I, I've, I've heard Mark talk about that multiple times. Yeah, and you know, the hunting industry has got some very good deer hunters um, within the hunting industry. I mean, there's some some guys that are more in it for the, uh, you know, I don't know, the celebrity or, or that, um, that. I'm not saying they're bad deer hunters. But uh, they're not you know, at the very top of the game. But there are some guys in the, in the hunting industry that are fantastic, very extremely knowledgeable and extremely successful deer hunters. Um, and the juries are in that category. Um, but when they talk, I listen. Because I've learned things just from listening to guys like that. Yep. So uh, it's not a slam on the juries in any way, my answer to that question, because they are some people that I respect for their knowledge. I don't I don't know the show uh, very well. I don't watch a lot of outdoor television, but, you know, if, if they're explaining um, basically going through from early season to October lull, pre-rut, rut, post-rut, 
I think it's helpful information to help explain, you know, what the different seasons are. Um, I just, I wish that, I wish that outdoor television and the industry would simplify it to the level that it needs to be done. You hunt when you should be hunting and don't put human intrusion on the spot. And um, unfortunately, people want to make it more complicated than what it really is, in my opinion. Right. So, alrighty. Hopefully that answered uh, your question, CJ. Um, last question comes from Wesley Lucas from Camden, Arkansas. Um, Wesley says, when doing postseason scouting on a new property recently obtained, what kind of sign are you looking for to show that's where a mature buck would spend his day daytime hours since rubs and scrapes don't seem to tell that mu that story much. Also, how do you go about figuring out where the doe bedding tends to be so new stands can be set up on the downwind side of bedding for future rut hunts? Thanks, and I really appreciate these podcasts. God bless. Um, well, Wesley, when I go on to a new property, just like I did uh, yesterday and, and the day before in Iowa, um, I'm basically figuring that the, the thickest cover on the property is where the deer are going to be bedding. Um, you, that, that's just pretty much a given. So, you know, that's where you want to be on the downwind side of during the rut. Now, other times of the year, that's not uh, uh, the best approach. Uh, you know, if you're hunting uh, early season and those deer are on a feeding pattern, uh, that's not going to be a very productive uh, approach to killing big deer. But during the rut, especially when those bucks have not you know, locked up with those yet when they're in that, that seeking phase and, and cruising, that's the time to be on the downwind edge of the sanctuary or the bedding area. Um, what do I look for when I go onto a new property? The first thing I'm looking for is basically I'm looking for sign of other hunters. If I see tree stands everywhere, shooting lanes have been cleared everywhere, uh, just sign of other people, well, that's a huge turnoff for me. Because I know that uh, most hunters don't do things right, and they're just going to bump a mature buck off of the property. So I'm looking for sign from other hunters, and then I'm looking for stand sites myself. So, uh, you know, I don't hunt a property until I know there's a big buck there, uh, one that I want to kill. And, you know, it doesn't start by, hey, I know there's a buck here, now I go find my tree stand. Sometimes it starts different. Sometimes it's, okay, I got permission this property. I have no idea what's on there. Um, before I figure out what's on there, I'm also going to figure out where I'm going to hunt. So just like yesterday, you know, I was, I was picking out stand sites. I have no idea that I'm even going to hunt there until a buck shows up or if a buck shows up that, that uh, I want to target, then I will. But if one doesn't i'll never go back and hunt but if it does happen i'm already going to have some ideas in my head of where i'm going to sit and i don't have to go in with that buck on the property stomp things up and to find stand sites so right out of the gate i'm already looking for stand sites i'm looking for uh, a sign of other hunters and i'm looking for the thickest cover on the property all right you teed up a question for me and i don't okay. think this is what wesley was getting at but I think this is one of the most misunderstood topics that we have not elaborated on yet to date on this podcast. And it might take you to say, time out, we're going to save this for next week. So if that's, all, if, if that's what we need to do, that's fine. 
but he made the statement in here and and again Wesley I'm not I'm not picking on you I'm just saying we get a lot of this question I don't I'm not saying this is what you meant but it says how do you f- go about finding out where doe bedding tends to be I think the misconception when we say fine bedding is people think that you are out tromping through the thickest cover on farms trying to find the exact bent over grass blades where it was laid down at where they're saying where is the doe bedding and um i think that's a little bit of misunderstanding you're looking for thick stuff that's able to be cover so you want to go into that a little bit do you understand what my question is yeah um because i get that question a lot too about bedding how to find bedding areas and you know terry you and steve shields have both told me that I just take a lot of things for granted and don't do a very good job explaining them because, you know, I just, I take it for granted that other people can read my mind or know what I'm thinking or, or understand what I'm, what I'm saying. And I don't explain it in enough detail, but because a lot of times I walk, just walk across the property like I did in the last couple of days and I'll, I'll know where the deer are going to be bedded. Um, and, and I'm not finding beds. I just know that they prefer certain kinds of cover and right. uh, that's where, that's where they're going to be bedding. Right. And, and one of those is if you've got wooded cover that has grass on the ground, instead of it just, you know, bare leaves, mm-hmm. for example, right. Or, or stuff like that. Thick undergrowth, it, basically. Still some grass. Yep. Yep. An old growed up cattle pasture. I've said many times that's the best cover there is. And it, it's the reason for it, I believe, is because the grasses that were there when that was cattle pasture are slowly being overtaken by briars and saplings and trees and whatever and shrubs. When there's still some grass mixed in amongst that regeneration, or that woody cover that's coming on, that's when it seems to be the prime, and it's prime. Mm-hmm. And I, I've seen more than one pasture start th- that way, and then over time, that woody vegetation becomes mature and it chokes out those grasses. And when it does, it it loses its appeal as bedding cover. And, and so, you know, I just through years of experience, I can see and recognize uh, the the cover that deer are going to prefer right. on a property. Um, but when you're saying that you're finding bedding, you're not going and tromping through the bedding and finding the actual bed. You're, you're looking at, um, for instance, when you walk the, the farm that I hunt um, a couple years ago, and we, we've talked about this hunting the downwind side where I've shot numerous bucks, you saw the yep. edge of that area and said, that's great bedding, which I knew it was bedding there. But that was finding a transition area of open woods that had thicker woods to the north and then growed up cattle pasture to the south and this was just a little 50 by 70 yard square of of transition area that that created an awesome pinch point um but i I think that people get a little confused when we say find the bedding we're not talking about going in and finding the 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 bent over grass where they bedded last night you're exactly right terry and that example you use is a perfect example you know, I seen it and I knew that's where the deer are going to bed right. just from past experience. Um, but if, if you would, uh, you know, 30 years ago, um, I, I actually would go out in the winter time, 
uh, when there was snow on the ground, and I would look for deer beds just so I would know where the deer were bedding on the properties mm-hmm. where I was hunting. Right. I would go walk the property, especially once the snow had been laying there for about a week and the deer had plenty of time uh, to make beds. That's when I would go out and, and, and I would find deer beds. And, and I don't do that anymore because I don't need to. But when I was younger and, and trying to learn and figure things out, I did that. And, you know, over time, it's just, it becomes almost second nature to look at a spot and say that that's where a deer would bed. But it's part of the and educational process. That, it's it's learning. Yeah, it's exactly. I don't think there's any you know book you could read, magazine article I could write, video I can make, and and you know explain it. It's basically experience where you can you just know when you see it. Right. And that what I said about the grasses is a big first step. If you can find, let's say you get you're on a property and there's some some more mature woods and then out on the edges, it may be, uh, the woods is not as mature. It used to be grass and it's kind of, the woods is kind of creeping out into that grass with saplings and stuff. Those deer, they love to bed in that grass for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. If you got grass on the ground, they would rather lay on that than they would leaves or dirt or whatever. Right. So when you find, when you find a really thick area, and there's a heavy path coming that to a more open area, that would be one of the places with the with the downwind side of that thick part that we would look for a stand site. So if, if the path is coming out from north to south, then that would be a place we would find a place we could get to there in that transition from where it's really thick to open up. We hunt where it opens up on the downwind side and put a, put a stand where we can get in and out and, and still give the deer the wind. Um, but you're not going to walk into the thick stuff to confirm that there's, there's beds in there. Um, you know, I think, uh, people got to understand that just a little bit more, um, that we're not going and trying to intrude. Um, at least this time of year, especially, you know, if it's January, February, it's a little bit different story. Right. So, and, you know, like I said, if if you're trying to figure out a property, go in there when there's snow on the ground, you know, after season, and look for those beds. Um, they're going to be bedding in the same spot on a particular property uh, during most of the year. Now, in, in the summertime, uh, when, when it's grown up, you know, there's more vegetation, they may bed in some other spots as well. Um, but in the winter, when that vegetation's down and, you know, it's, it's, it's more clear. Yep. That's when they're going to really show you with their preferred bedding areas. But if I walk into the woods and I have big mature trees that I can see 60, 70, 80 yards out across the bottom and it's wide open, that's not deer bedding. No. If it's got oaks in it, you might have that as a staging area to where, you know, they're going to feed through there uh, just mm-hmm. before dark. But that's not going to be bedding. Um, you might jump deer out of there every once in a while, but they're not truly bedding in there. But, um, right. you know, if, if if Wesley's looking for those spots on the downwind side, find the thickest stuff that you can find that gives that cover. Look for the transition to open area and figure out which way the wind's blowing to do that. And then that's your stand set up for the downwind side. And that might be an east wind. It might be a west wind. You know, that, that spot that we, we always talk about on the place that I can hunt, 
that one corner is for a southeast wind, and we rarely get it. But it's a it's an awesome spot when it's a southeast wind. Every time I've hunted it with a southeast wind, I've killed a deer. Mm-hmm. So, but I I think yep. that's uh, I, I didn't mean to to go off on a little bit of tangent of of what Wesley I think was intending to ask there, but I know it's a mis a, a misunderstood uh, topic we talk about a lot. Uh, I get I get that question a lot. How do I find bedding areas? How do I tell where the deer are bedding on my place? Well, start with the thickest cover on the on the property, and if you've got some thick cover that's got grass on the ground, well, that's where I'd be looking. Yeah, grass, briars. It's just picture your old grown up cattle pasture. That's that's the prime. Yeah. Um, we call we call those nasty uh, stickers Kentucky switchgrass down here because it's you can't even walk through the stuff. It's so nasty. So, mm-hmm. all right, well, that's a good set of questions. Yeah, for sure. I'm digging back through some, and uh, we've got plenty to dig through, but we could also use some new ones. So. Uh, I try to, to keep them relative to the time of the year. Um, as I'm going through these and sorting through, I've had rut questions I've skipped over and just, you know, different things that the timing wasn't good. So um, we can always use questions that are good for this time of the year. So if you guys got some, send them in. Yeah, and I'm going to be laid up for a week and a half, so I'll be happy. It'll give me something to do to read everybody's questions as they submit them. So it'll help keep me entertained so i can't I, believe you don't have enough to do <laughs> i think i'll be fine <laughs> your guys got there's not very many people that have more irons in the fire than i do but you might be one <laughs> you're coaching and everything else that you do i just don't see how you have a minute to do anything else well i uh I, you know, tomorrow we had a team meal tonight my girls play the first round the high school girls play the first round of districts tomorrow at noon and if we win we go to to regionals which will be over the weekend if we lose summer travel ball starts this weekend so i asked the i asked the back surgeon i said so what's the likelihood of me having surgery on saturday and being able to coach on saturday or on surgery on tuesday and being able to coach on uh, saturday and he just kind of gave me this really mean look out of the corner of my eye <laughs> i bet you find a way to do it <laughs> well here's the thing you'll pa- be there part of this back problem is because i push too hard to come back from knee surgery so I, I do have to take care of myself a little bit i can't keep this cycle going that i you know keep just making things worse by uh by taking shortcuts i gotta understand that you know i gotta heal myself so with that i'm not gonna have much patience you know me yeah. Well, you know what? The thing that, that impresses me is that all these things that you do, you're you're almost always helping somebody else. It's never selfish ambition that, that gets you motivated. It's always helping somebody else, whether it's coaching, you know, your girls uh, softball or uh, even what you do for real world. You don't you don't need the the meager pay that we give you. You're, you're doing it to, to help. And Well, I'm helping and, the prodigy West Delks. It's yeah. all it's all about the prodigy. Well, you're helping me too. So <laughs> I do I do feel really guilty about something now that I think about it. We should have started this uh this podcast off talking about Memorial Day and giving our respects to to those who have served and I hate that that's the last thing that we did tonight. <laughs> 
but I don't want to close the episode out without us acknowledging that in uh, this country and and the people that support and and protect not only the country but our local communities um, uh, from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. But I, I feel ashamed that I didn't bring that up to start out the episode but um, and leave it to last, but I don't want to close out without us being able to talk about that for a minute. Absolutely, Terry. You know, uh, there is, has been hundreds of thousands and maybe more than that, maybe millions of American soldiers throughout the years that have given their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy. And I think too often it's taken for granted. And we, you know, we probably have some listeners whose family, you know, has made the ultimate sacrifice. And uh, we, we don't want that to to go without being acknowledged and you know I'm, i was pretty saddened that the the statements that our our vice president and president made um, for this memorial day weekend and it seems like society is forgetting uh the true heroes of this society you know the uh, military the first responders and all that and uh but there's a lot of of truly patriotic Americans that have their priorities in order um, and totally respect and support our military and our first responders. But uh, this weekend is about those who made the ultimate sacrifice, those who did not come back from battle. And we don't want to forget those families, uh, those individuals, but but also those families um, you know, who lost a loved one. So on behalf of on behalf of us, thank you. I know we do have some military that listen to us. Um, they've reached out to us. We we appreciate you listening, but most of all, we appreciate the sacrifice that you give to all of us. Um, it's it's um, very important for us to to include and thank you guys on this episode. So from the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Absolutely, thank you. All right, with that, um, you're going to what else are you going to do? But try to plant my food plots this week. That sounded selfish. Well, no, I've got got one uh, soybean plot, not on my farm, but on another one that uh, I I don't know if it's uh, been browsed hard or we got a a good hard rain on it after it was planted and it kind of crusted over the ground. There's just a poor stand of soybeans there. So when I get done planting your plot, I'm probably going to go replant that one. You might as well while you got everything hooked up. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll do yours first and, um, just do that one to kind of empty my planter. It's not a very big plot anyway. Um, but other than that, uh, I got to figure out what unit I'm going to apply for in Iowa. And, uh, it's going to be a big decision. Well, for sure. It's (laughs) because I've got options in multiple units and, uh, I know going to happen i'll probably pick the wrong one and a giant will show up after i got a tag for another unit but that's part of it it's uh it'll be something to talk about next week whenever i, I narrow it down to the one and, that's right and send that application in well before we do close off i wanted to um uh voice my apologies we did start getting the episodes of chasing giants up on youtube this week so um uh, from here on out, we'll be back up uh, probably on Tuesday, Wednesday, uploading every week um, as it has to be formatted a little bit differently. But um, if you're not listening to it on MTech 
or one of the major podcast networks. They'll be up on YouTube weekly now. So we got that figured out. Um, thanks for all your patience. But other than that, that's all I got. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. All right. We want to thank our sponsors. Um, Biofarm.com. 360 Hunting Blinds. Victory Chevrolet. WildlifeFarming.com. Quiet Cat. Matthews Archery. Real World Wildlife Products. Vortex Optics. Lone Wolf Tree Stands and Vengeance Camo. Hope everyone has a great Memorial Day.